What a glorious day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's such a wonderful thing to be together, to be in the house of the Lord. It's an exciting time at First Baptist Church. God's moving in exciting ways in a lot of different areas. He's growing us as disciples. People are being baptized, becoming uh, saved. God is saving souls. He's providing for us in incredible ways. New buildings going up. Starting next week, we're meeting in the gym. It's going to be different, of course, but we'll be able to look back and, and tell our children how God did what only God can do in so many ways. We certainly rejoice in God's work in all of these things, the new building and all this kind of stuff. But today, we have even a greater reason to rejoice. Today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the day we set aside, of course, to specifically commemorate what Christ has done for us in giving His life for our sin, rising from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is, is the foundation of our faith and our salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Jesus has not been raised, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. So as we, we come together this morning, it, it's right and it's fitting for us to think about why the resurrection of Jesus is so important in our own lives today. Why it's so important to our faith, to our salvation? And the answer to that question is wrapped up in a single word, justified. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus raised for our justification, what it says in Romans 4. Today we're going to be at the end of, the, of chapter 4 in Romans and the first few verses of chapter 5. Normally we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we're working through Galatians right now, but last week and this week, because it's Easter, taking a break from Galatians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 18 and read to the end. But first I want to draw your attention to the key verse in this section, and it's verse 25 of Romans chapter 4. It says, it will be counted to us, it's talking about righteousness will be counted to us, who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what does it mean? That's really the question, right? What does it mean to be justified? That's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to see what the resurrection informs. Many people have defined being justified using the phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And that's, that's true. Indeed, that's true. Nothing wrong with that. But it's so much more than that. Being justified means God has declared that the sinner is righteous. It's not just your neighbor saying, well, that person's righteous, that person's good. It's not just my heart saying, well, I, I know I'm right. It's when God declares the sinner to be righteous and perfect in His sight. And in order to be saved, in order to be accepted by God, you must have a perfect righteousness, which means all of us, from the pulpit all the way to the back door, we have a problem. Because doing better or straightening up our lives or turning over a new leaf or trying to live by the rules, that doesn't justify anyone. None of that can make you perfect before God. A lifetime of good works. If you started today and if it were possible, never sinned again. A lifetime of good works can't wash away not a single sin. The Bible says it's appointed to man once to die and then face the judgment and God is a perfect judge. It means every breach of His law, every sin must be met with justice and the wages of sin is 
death. So being right before God, it can't come from just acting rightly or being good or having an overall good behavior for the majority of your life. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. To be accepted, you must have never sinned at all. The account of your life must, must not show the slightest blemish on it. You must have lived righteously and perfectly every moment of every day of your life. You must have loved God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You must have loved your neighbor as yourself perfectly every moment of every hour of every day that you live from the moment you're born to the day that you pass from this earth. And it does no good for us to say, well, of course I haven't done that. None of us have, but at least I'm doing better than most people. I mean, I'm improving. James chapter 2, verse 10 says that whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at one point is guilty of it all. James chapter 2, verse 10. Look it up. That means that we have a big problem. When you look at the Ten Commandments, which we're going through Exodus right now on Wednesday nights, they show us that we have often put other gods before Him. We have often used God's name in a flippant or careless way. We've stolen, we've lusted, we've hated, we've coveted. And, and even more than just doing wrong things, doing things against God's law, we've failed to do the right things. We haven't perfectly loved God as He's commanded us to love Him. We haven't perfectly loved one another as He's commanded us to love one another. That's hard to hear. Aren't you glad you came on Easter Sunday? <laughs> That's hard to hear because that means we're not victims. We're criminals before God. Rebels against the authority of our Creator who gave us life and breath. In fact, if you were to go down to Romans 5 verses 7 and 8, we're told that when Christ died for us, we were enemies of God. So the question is, how can God, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly just and holy, declare a sinful, rebellious enemy to be righteous? How can He do that and still be a perfect judge? That's what we learn in the book of Romans. Paul spends the first three chapters in the book of Romans telling us that all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter 1, the pagans and all of, all of them who we might say are out there are guilty before God. Chapter 2, all the religious folks are guilty before God as well. Everyone. No one is righteous, it says in Romans 3.10. No one is righteous. No, not one. But then in chapter 3 of Romans, he turns a corner. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, But now the righteousness of God... His perfect righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And this is what it is. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's how a sinner can be justified before God. And to show us this, in chapter 4, Paul uses a very famous example of what being justified by faith looks like. And that example is Abraham. He gives us an example of our justification. In verse 18 of chapter 4, it says this, In hope he, we're talking about Abraham here, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him as righteousness here is actually a quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. That's when God promised Abraham that he would have a son from his own body, from Sarah, uh, and he would provide, be provided that by God, even though he was old, even though Sarah's, Sarah's old and, and she was barren as well. And despite all of the evidence saying that this can't happen, Abraham believed God. He trusted in God and his faith was counted or credited to him as righteousness. If you were to walk all the way through chapter uh, 4 of Romans, Paul's argument actually builds on itself. In verses 1 through 8, he shows us that Abraham wasn't justified by his works. In verses 9 through 12, he shows us Abraham wasn't justified by circumcision, by the sign of the covenant. And in 13 through 17, he shows us Abraham was not justified by the law either. And here in these verses we just read, he shows us how he was justified. He was justified, declared to be righteous by faith. He believed God's promise and righteousness was credited, counted to him, to his account. God declared Abraham righteous. Not because Abraham was sinless. I mean, have you read about Abraham? He surely was not. But because of his faith. And Paul continues this argument showing Abraham's faith how he shows Abraham's being justified by faith applies to us. It's an example of our own justification. In verses 23 and 24, he says, But the words it was counted to him, meaning Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted or credited to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. But how? How is Abraham's faith an example of how I am justified today? Verse 25 tells us. He shows us the means of our justification. How we can be justified as sinners by a holy God. We just read 23 and 24. He said, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And this is how. Because Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is how a sinner, a rebel, a criminal against God's law is redeemed and justified. This is how one who is not righteous is declared to be righteous by a holy and just God, by being united to Jesus Christ in faith. Jesus' perfect righteousness is credited, counted to us, who believe, who trust in Him. And we're told how that happens in verse 25, because He was delivered up for our trespasses, and He was raised for our justification. I, I know many of you have heard this before, if you've come to church here any length of time at all, but I, I just never get tired of telling you, so I'm going to tell you again. Before creation, God existed in eternity, in eternity past, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity existed in perfect love relationship with one another. 
And, and God created out of an, of an overflow of this love relationship to bring His image bearers, the ones He created, us, into that eternal love relationship with Him. But man sinned. Humans sinned and separated themselves from fellowship with God. And they could not enter into His holy presence anymore. And so God the Son, the eternal Son, took on the nature of a man entered into His own creation and did what no other has ever done. He lived perfectly according to the covenant law of God. Perfect obedience in word, in thought, in deed. Every second, every moment, every hour, every day of His life. Never breaking God's law. He was the only person that ever lived who Himself stands righteous before the judgment bar of God. And in the fullness of time, God the Father delivered up His own perfect Son for our trespasses, for our sins. Jesus gave willingly His perfect life as a sacrifice, a payment for the sins of others because He had no sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the payment that you owe. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. But Jesus stepped in as your substitute. He took the punishment that you deserve. Not only did He die physically on the cross, but He endured the wrath and the punishment of a holy God in your place. As Jesus hung on the cross between heaven and earth, suffocating and bleeding to death, the sky went dark, the earth shook, and for the first time in all eternity, the Father turned His back on His own Son. The only sinless One who ever lived. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, He, the Father, made Him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus stood in your place, took your punishment. And that's why it says He was delivered up for your trespasses. And God forgive us, we've heard that so many times that it's just not that amazing to us anymore. We take for granted that, that our forgiveness, our grace, our salvation, who we are in Christ, everything that we've been given came at His expense. Donald Gray Barnhouse is a preacher. He gave this illustration to his congregation that helps remind us of what Jesus has done. He told his congregation to picture themselves as Barabbas. You remember Barabbas? He's the man Pilate released instead of Jesus. Barnhouse told his congregation, you're Barabbas. You're, you're sitting in your jail cell, a convicted murderer, rebel against Rome. You might say, well, hold on just a second. I'm not a murderer. I may have done a lot of things, but I haven't ever committed murder. 1 John 3.15 says that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So we fit the bill. And as you sit in your cell... Outside, you hear this crowd yelling and screaming. And the next thing you know, the door's opening and Roman soldiers are coming to escort you out of the cell. You can only assume they're taking you out to the crowd and your sentence is about to be carried out. You are justly condemned. You're guilty. And the punishment that you're about to face is what you rightfully deserve. And there is nothing that you can do about it. But when you're brought out before the crowd, there's another man standing out there. Jesus of Nazareth. And you hear Pilate yell to the crowd, which man should I release to you? 
and your heart leaps as the crowd calls your name, Barabbas. And as you're released into the crowd, you watch as Jesus is then stripped and beaten. This is your punishment. This is what should have happened to you. This is what you thought was going to happen to you when you came out of that jail cell. This would have been your fate. But He took your place. And as you stand with the crowd at Calvary, and you hear every hammer stroke that pushes the nails further and further into His flesh, you can only know that these nails were meant for me. Your execution has become His execution. Jesus stepped in and took your place. That's what it means when it says, Jesus was delivered over for your trespasses, for our transgressions. By grace, through faith, you are united to Jesus in His death so that His death is your death. His death pays the price for your sin and God's justice has been fulfilled upon your sin. The law of God has been satisfied and your sins have been paid in full. The wages of sin is death and a death was given for your sin. But it doesn't end there. He was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the grave. And at the end of verse 25, it said He was raised for our justification. Jesus gave His perfect life as a sacrifice for sin. He didn't owe the wages of sin. He never sinned. So He owed no debt. He didn't owe a death, but He paid the wages of it anyway. But even in death, Jesus remained the righteous and the perfect Son of God. So death had no claim on him. And the Father raised him up from the dead, demonstrating that his sacrifice, his payment, has been accepted. And that payment is complete for all time. Jesus, who was crucified as a criminal, denied as God's Messiah, rejected by the world, is now vindicated by his resurrection before the entire world. The resurrection proves that Jesus himself was justified in all that He taught, in all that He said. He really is who He said He was. He was justified in the perfect life that He lived because when He gave His life willingly for sin, He owed no sin and was raised from the dead. That's why death couldn't hold Him. Jesus' resurrection shows that He's perfect. He's righteous before the judgment bar of God. And those who are united by faith in Him in His death are also united with Him in His resurrection. So we are now in Christ. If you've been born again, if you've trusted in Him, if you've received the new heart of the new covenant and the Spirit indwells you, we are now justified and declared righteous by God in His resurrection, in His life. His resurrection is credited to our account. Faith is counted to us as righteousness. The book of your life contains all the sin, the rebellion, the failures, failures that you've done, and all that you ever will do. This is what your account looks like. But the book of Jesus' life, if we can say it that way, 
contains nothing but righteousness and faithfulness and obedience to God's law. That's what his account looks like. And at the cross and the resurrection, by grace through faith, your book is placed upon his account and he pays the penalty for everything written within. The justice for your sinful account was laid out upon him. And at the cross and the resurrection, his righteousness, his account is credited to you so that you are declared righteous by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. That's what it means to be justified. It's a declaration of God that you are righteous, even though I know my own heart and I'm not righteous. It means the sin debt has been paid. It means that we have been perfectly saved and we've been declared righteous, perfectly perfect and holy. And because His righteousness is applied to those who trust in Him, because of that, we have peace as we see the result. In the first two verses of chapter 5, he says, after all this justification talk, salvation by faith, he says, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because we are now justified by faith, raised with Jesus in this new life, we have Peace with God through Him. Peace here is not just some fuzzy, warm feeling you got down in the pit of your gut. It is the ceasing of hostility. By faith in Jesus, the sinner is no longer an enemy of God. No longer separated from God by our sin. Now we are adopted sons and daughters. Peace with God means an end of His wrath toward us for sin, for it was completely poured out on another in your place. And because of that, we have access into this grace. The dividing wall has been removed. Justice has been fulfilled. So the sinner in Christ can stand before God in grace and peace. We sinners... The unrighteous can now enter into that eternal love relationship of God. That relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we've been adopted into it. Right now on Wednesday nights, we're going through, working through the book of Exodus. We go through verse by verse books of the Bible on Wednesday just like we do on Sunday. And as walking through Exodus right now, we're coming to the point where it's just a lot of laws in one place. And to be honest, it's, it doesn't make for for very riveting reading, but we're going through it. But what we've seen in Exodus is that we have seen how terrifying and consuming the presence of God is. We lose that sometimes and think God is just our bud, you know? He's just our homeboy and, and, and you know, that's, 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 that's all the vernacular I know. I can't go any further than that. <laughs> When God's presence descended on Mount Sinai, the Israelites couldn't even touch the mountain. They couldn't let their animals run loose because if they touched the mountain, it would die. They would die going into His presence. 
Our God is a consuming fire. Even when God's presence dwelt among His people in the tabernacle and and later the temple, the people had to be protected from the presence of God by a veil that separated the inner court from the most holy place. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies before the presence of God and then only once a year and with the appropriate sacrifice. But as the Father's wrath was poured out on His own Son, that veil was torn from top to bottom as the earth shook. The way into God's presence is open through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the sinner, the unrighteous, the unholy, by grace through faith in Jesus, is united with the great high priest, who enters into the real holy of holies and bears the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 through 14 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. Look at this. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time Those who are being sanctified. Oh, we have such a reason to rejoice on Resurrection Sunday. Today in 2023, as we celebrate what Jesus did well over 2,000 years ago, today we can still look upon our God with awe and wonder. We can glory in this gospel as, as those who have No comprehension of how it can be so that God could love me, a sinner. That God could love you, a sinner. We can glory in the God of our salvation, rejoice in the gospel, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because He is the firstborn among many brethren. His resurrection ensures our resurrection. But in all our rejoicing, we must also remember we must be justified before God, by God, to enter into His presence. And the only way that that can happen is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one will enter into the presence of the Father that does not go through Him. To be right before God All people must be justified by God. Must be declared righteous by God to enter into His presence and be accepted. And there is only one way that can happen. You must entrust your life to Jesus. No one can be justified by God by reforming their behavior or straightening up your life, or turning over a new leaf. You can't be justified by doing good works and keeping rules and and doing religious things and keeping religious rituals. Sin must have justice if God is perfect and God is holy and He is a perfect judge. Therefore, there are only two kinds of people in this world. And there are only two kinds of people in this room. Those who have been saved, entrusted themselves to Christ, trusted Jesus Christ with their eternal salvation and have been perfectly justified 
in Jesus, righteous in the sight of God, though in our practice, in our walk, we're still not righteous. We're still sinners. We've still fallen in nature, but we have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, We've been given a new heart in the new covenant that longs to follow Christ, even if we're failing at it, even if we're doing it imperfectly. We've been given a new heart. We've been raised with Jesus and we've been declared righteous if we've been born again. And the other kind is those who are separated from God by their sin. And it doesn't matter how good you try to live, doesn't matter what new leaf you try to turn over, doesn't matter what religious thing you try to get into, even coming to church or even praying a prayer with me. That does nothing. You must trust in Jesus. You cannot please God on your own. You cannot please God in your own strength, in your own power. You cannot and that's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, you will find rest for your soul. You can rest in Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. What better day is it to trust in Jesus to give Him your heart and life, to be saved, to be... If you know your own heart as well as I know my own, it, it, it's crazy to be declared righteous because Jesus is righteous and His righteousness is put on my account and my sin is paid for. That, that call is for you today. Trust in Jesus. Give Him your heart and life. And then let's walk in this gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of your salvation. God, we rejoice in the salvation that you have given us. We rejoice in you sending your son to die for us. Jesus, we, we rejoice in gratitude that you willingly gave up your life, laid it down so that you could take it back up again. Lord, we can't comprehend the magnitude of what that means as we view our own heart and our own sin and our own failures and our own rebellion that you would love us so much to come and to die in our place. God, help us to revel in that, to never get beyond it. Help us to walk in it. Help us to proclaim it to a lost and dying world. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would move in their heart today, that they would hear the truth of the gospel, that all of our works, all of our religious stuff, all of our rituals, all of the good that we could possibly do is futile to please you. We must have perfection. And the only way we can have that is through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would draw their hearts to you and that they would call out upon you in salvation. That they would say, I know that all I can do is sin, but I'm trusting that Jesus gave his life for me. I'm trusting that Jesus rose from the dead for me. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts and that they would call out upon you today. 
and give their hearts and life to you. God, help us to walk in your will. Help us to walk in the righteousness we've been given. Help us to walk by the Spirit. God, we, we pray that you do your will in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand right down here. I would love to pray with you if you want to come. Will you stand with me?